Good morning, Grace family. It's my privilege to be with you again here on, uh, I think if I've counted correctly, this is the ninth Sunday that we've been meeting virtually like this, and it's uh, certainly not the same, and it's definitely not the way that uh, we would prefer, but uh, but here we are, and it's our opportunity to be together, at least in, in this format, and it's our opportunity to uh, worship together and also to open God's Word together. I'm really grateful to Pastor Rick for giving me the opportunity again to, to be able to share with you. Um, I, I find in my experience not too many pastors are willing to uh, give up their pulpit now and again and share it with anybody else. And so, uh, Rick, I'm, I'm grateful just for the opportunity. So, so thank you. I noticed also, if you got the uh, email with the link to the church bulletin, we've got a couple of birthdays this week as well as an anniversary. Uh, Dave Goodwin is celebrating, I think, birthday number 29 again uh, on the 21st. Uh, Stephanie Jones is celebrating her birthday on the 23rd. And uh, Tim and Janine Lansing have an anniversary on the 22nd. So those are kind of part of our church family events this week. And I don't know if you're a person who makes phone calls or sends text messages or drops a note in the, the mail, but uh, you got extra time if you're sheltered at home and uh, you don't have to go to the store and buy a fancy card, scribble a note, drop it in the mail, but to take advantage of the opportunity to celebrate with, with these in our church family. Let's just ask God's blessing on our, our time in His Word together. Our Father in Heaven, as we open our scriptures together this morning as we look to you our, our our heart's desire is to hear your voice our heart's desire is for you to speak and my prayer is that you would take the thoughts that uh, have filled my mind and heart in the last week or more and allow this to to come forth in a way that honors you a way that speaks truth and that lord you would give us receptive hearts open our hearts our minds, our lives this morning to what you have for each one of us. Thank you for doing that as we ask together in the mighty, powerful name of our living Savior, Jesus. Amen. C.S. Lewis is famous for uh, many things, wonderful books that he's written. And out of those books and out of his writings, there are numerous quotes that have been uh, elevated through the years. And one of his quotes that is often uh, spoken to me, is his quote where he said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone, C.S. Lewis said. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that the pain of this coronavirus pandemic is a megaphone, that there's something God wants us to hear. There's some things that God wants us to learn during this time of pandemic. And I must be honest with you and confess that I've had some trouble adjusting and accepting all the stuff that's being thrown at us during this pandemic. I've been unhappy with the news media and their, their efforts to cause fear and anxiety and even, I'll use the word, terror in our hearts. I've been frustrated with mixed messages where I'm told one week that I should wear a mask. I'm told the next week I don't need a mask. And as I like to say, we don't need no stinking masks. I read one day that masks don't help us. I read the next day that masks do help us and they need to be worn. And, and these mixed messages. And, and I'm not happy with what seems to be a government overreach. And we can't meet and we can't do this. And, you know, we could meet if we changed the name of our church to Walmart because people are going there. We could meet if a bunch of us wanted to go down to Lowe's and to gather in the housewares department because people are allowed to. Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm struggling with this. I'm frustrated. I confess I'm angry at times. Uh, it just doesn't seem right. But I think there's some lessons that God has for us to learn. There are some lessons that God wants us to know. People are asking, where, where is God 
in this pandemic? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why doesn't God do something? And I want to assure you and remind you, God is the same place He's always been. He's right here with us. That's always His promise. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. God's promise to Moses when He called Moses to let His people go. The same call He gave to Joshua when Joshua took over for Moses. I'll go with you. I'll be with you. And that's the constant thing that we need to be reminded of. God's right here with us. But he has lessons for us that he wants us to learn. And so this morning I want to share with you three lessons, three observations, three things that I'm thinking about that I think we need to learn. And I suspect that there's other lessons. I know there's other lessons. Um, There's other things that I could share with you. And maybe there's some lessons that you see that you think God is teaching us. I'd love to have you share those with me. I'd love to know what you're thinking and what you're experiencing. I don't want us to waste this pandemic. I want us to learn what God has for us. The most bottom line, fundamental question that you and I should ask in any circumstance of life is this question. What is it? that God wants me to learn from this. And whether it's something God brings into your personal life, a crisis, a difficulty, a challenge of some kind, or whether it's something like this that affects all of us together, the question we need to ask and the question we need to ponder is what does God want me to learn from this? And so three lessons that I think God wants us to learn from this pandemic. The first lesson I think God wants us to learn is this, that we, you and I, are too easily distracted from what is important. What I've observed in my own heart and life, and what I've observed in the lives of people around me, believer and unbeliever alike, but I'm more concerned about us as God's people, is that we are very distracted from what really matters. It seems to me that our focus during this pandemic, is on me. It's on us. It's on ourselves. And we're so focused on what we are missing, what we don't have, what we want to be different. We are focused on our health, my health, my safety, my protection, my food, my entertainment, We want baseball soon. I can't go to the movies. There's no live action present sports stuff. I'm watching bicycle races from 20 years ago on YouTube. I miss live action sports. I would love to be able to take my wife out to dinner and sit down in a restaurant. I am so tired. Of going into a restaurant wearing a mask, ordering food to go, taking it home and having to eat it cold. I don't like that. It's all about me. My food, my lack of entertainment, my toilet paper, my paper towels, my sanitizer, my... It's all about me. Why are we so focused on us, on me, my needs, my wants? my deficiencies, what I'm missing, what I'm lacking. I found myself thinking about this two Sundays ago. After Rick preached that morning, the final song was our friend Jessica playing her saxophone. And I've told you more than once, that's the reason I come to this church, is to hear Jessica play the sax. And so Jessica played for us one of my favorite songs. His eye is on the sparrow. And Jessica, I have been singing that song for two weeks. I sing it when I'm riding my bike. I sing it when I'm driving my car. I sing it throughout the day. I love that song. Because it reminds me it's not about me. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. I don't know if you know anything about the history of 
of the song, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Sevilla Durfee Martin wrote this song in 1905, 115 years ago. And Sevilla wrote this song in the context of having met some new friends. Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle lived in Elmira, New York. And Sevilla met them and was amazed at this couple who were happy, joyful, singing all the time. Mrs. Doolittle had been confined to a bed for more than 20 years. Mr. Doolittle went to work every day in his wheelchair. Took himself to work in his wheelchair, back home from work in his wheelchair every day. And this couple radiated joy and happiness and song. And it was in that context that Sevilla Durfee Martin wrote the great words of that song. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should my heart be lonely when Jesus is my portion? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. You see, I don't need to be concerned about my food and my clothing and my investments and all that stuff. Why? (laughs) If his eye is on the sparrow, he's going to take care of me. I read in the news the other day, I'm getting so tired of the news, I don't know about you, but one of these news articles predicted there's going to be a shortage of food in the fall. And you know what my first thought was? I need to get down to the store and load up on food. Maybe I'll go to the frozen food section and get some of those Marie Callender pot pies that I like so much. And all of a sudden I stopped in the middle of this thought. And I said to myself, Roy, his eyes on the sparrow. He'll take care of you. And that's what Jesus meant when he said these profound words in Matthew chapter 6. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. Nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Some of you picked up your Bibles hoping I'd tell you where to go. Matthew chapter 26, and I started in verse 25. And so if you want to try to catch up, I'm going to jump back in where I just just stopped at verse 27. And who of you is worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Are you worried about health? Worried about life itself? (laughs) We can't add a single hour. Jesus said, I'm going to take care of you. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And I found myself reading this and thinking, so how come Target is open? I can go buy buy clothes at Target, but I can't go to Kohl's. Kohl's is closed where I like to shop. Hey, time out. God's going to take care of me. He takes care of the sparrows. He takes care of me. That's his promise. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble. Enough trouble of its own. So, we're easily distracted from what really matters because we're focused on us. What's God's focus? What's in Jesus' heart that's important that we need to get back 
shift our focus back to. Well, we just read it. Seek first what? Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. That's always God's agenda. To advance His kingdom. To advance the kingdom of His Son. Then more and more people would be introduced to Jesus. More and more people would become a part of His family, part of His kingdom. Seek first His kingdom. You know, I thought of this and I realized how often the topic of God's kingdom comes into focus in the scriptures. It says in Mark 1.15 that Jesus came preaching the gospel and he said, repent. <laughs> repent. He's preaching the gospel. Repent and believe. Repent the Preaching the gospel of God, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Right out of the chute in Jesus' ministry, it was a focus on the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, when he just taught his disciples how to pray, there's that phrase in there. What does it say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' focus is always on the kingdom. When he sent his disciples out, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom. The Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians to walk worthy of the God who has called them into the kingdom. He told the Colossians that they should rejoice that God has transferred them from the domain of the evil one and transferred them into the kingdom of his dear son. It's all about God's kingdom. And so as I think on this, I, I think as a church, this is a time for us to take inventory. It's a time for us as a church to evaluate. Are we too inward focused? Are we too focused on us? What can we do to be more outward focused? What can we do to be more focused on our neighbors, our community? How does God want to use us to bless the city of Norwalk? We need to be less us-centered and more them-centered. It's not only true for us as a church, it's true for us individually. Individually, we need to be less me-centered and more them-centered. Do I know my neighbors? Here's an opportunity in this pandemic thing. To know my neighbors, to help my neighbors, to love my neighbors. What is it that we can do individually in our neighborhoods, in our context, to love the people God has placed around us? We need to be more focused out than we are in. For years, I had a sign on the wall of my office that faced my desk. And I saw this sign every day, and it said this, The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I wonder sometimes... And it's definitely true in this pandemic. If we're not just too easily distracted from the pursuit of God's main thing, let's be aware of this lesson and learn from it. The second lesson I think that God has for you and for me is that not only are we too easily distracted from what is most important, but we're too easily drawn, too quickly drawn from faith to fear. The media, the messages we're hearing, whether it's television or radio or newspapers or news online, however you're being hit with news, it's constant fear, constant terror. Be afraid of your neighbor. Be afraid of this person. Wear a mask. Get the sanitizer. People are fearful. And I understand there's Concern, and maybe there's a difference between concern and fear. I, you know, I don't know where the line is. But I know one thing for sure, and that is that God wants us to trust Him. Hebrews 11.6 says it simply, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God. We need to be alert to this faith and fear thing that's going on around us. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. And you can say it with me because you've memorized it too, just like I have. Say it with me. Say it out loud. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight. And if you remember, I preached a message on this passage many months ago now. And I suggested to you that that little phrase in the middle, in all your ways acknowledge Him, might be just as well translated, in all your ways be knowing Him. We need to trust Him. He's worthy of our faith and worthy of our trust. We are too quickly turned from faith to fear. The 121st Psalm begins and it says, Where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who created the heaven and the earth. And whenever I think of that passage, whenever I read that passage, the thought that comes to my mind is this. If we cannot put our faith and trust and confidence in the creator of the universe, the eternal God who created everything that you and I see, even he created us out of nothing. If we cannot put our trust in the eternal, self-sufficient, promise-keeping Creator, what can we trust? We need to trust the Lord. Guard our hearts from being so quickly turned from fear to faith. Oh, there's so much that I want to share with you here. Um, You know... My mom, when she was 80 years old, planned this 7,000-mile cross-country road trip. She was going to travel from her home in Long Beach all the way to Michigan to visit her friend Joyce, and then from there to Ohio to visit my aunt and cousin on the farm in Ohio, and then from there to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to visit my brother's family. And we calculated that at about 7,000 miles. And when people heard what my mom was planning, they started saying to me, how can you let your mother do this? You can't let her go off and do this all by herself. Well, my mom always had a simple answer to those concerns that people gave her. First of all, she said, one, I'm not by myself. I'm not alone, which kind of puzzled people until she informed them that Jesus was with her. (laughs) I like that. And then she would follow that and say, so what's the worst thing that could happen to me out there on the road? I might get killed and get to go to heaven. You know... My mom had a wonderful perspective on stuff. I'm not alone. Jesus is with me. And what's the worst thing that could happen? I remember well in my own heart and life. Back in March of 2003, we went to war with Iraq. And when the Marines crossed the border from Kuwait into Iraq, headed to bed, recon Marines were at the tip of the spear. And right behind the recon marines was a a group called the shock and trauma platoon. Medical personnel, doctors, nurses, including my son. David was a part of that platoon. My son was and still is a Navy hospital corpsman. He was attached to the Marine Corps then as he is now. And he was in that shock and trauma platoon that crossed the border and went into Iraq. And for seven weeks, We did not hear a word from David. No letters, no phone calls, no emails, no text messages, no carrier pigeons coming by the house. We heard nothing. And as time went by, I discovered in my own heart more fear, more anxiety, more concern, taking control of my heart. And then one day, one of my friends, I think it was my sister-in-law, Debbie, thought, pasted on Facebook a picture of one of our Marines, dressed in his combat fatigues, his weapon, his helmet, the whole deal. And the front of his helmet, he'd placed a piece of white tape, and on the tape he'd written Psalm 23, 4. And that's the verse that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And it was that photograph, that picture, that 
brought me courage afresh, confidence anew. That whether my son David was at home in his room or on a battlefield in Iraq, he's just as safe regardless because the Lord is with him. We need to move from fear to faith. We need to do that individually. We need to remain boldly confident in our God that he's in charge, he's in control. We need to do that as a church, believing that in spite of all this, in spite of all the challenges and difficulties and not being able to meet and everything, God is at work. God is going to do his best for us as a church. Uh, He's going to do the same for us individually. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to meet our needs. Some of us, some of us have lost jobs facing unemployment. Some of us probably have had our hours of work reduced. Some of us have looked at retirement investments that have lost value over the last two months. And all of this causes anxiety. It causes fear. It causes us to well up with all these emotions. God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to have faith in Him. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father above, with whom there's no shifting shadow. We can trust Him. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.20, again, another one of my favorite passages, that my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we ask or think. We have a great God. We have a mighty God. We have a powerful God. One thing I'm sure of with this coronavirus is this. God's got this. Can you say that with me out loud? God's got this. One more time. God's got this. We need to learn to trust Him. We need to learn to trust Him individually with our finances, with our health, with food supply, whatever it is, we need to trust Him. We need to do that individually and in our families. We also need to do this as a church. This is a challenging time for churches all across our country. Churches all across the country, similarly to restaurants. Restaurants are struggling. Restaurants are closing. Businesses are closing because they can't conduct business virtually. Restaurants can't survive on takeout and delivery. One of the finest restaurants in Laverne, the city I live in, just announced this week that last night was their last night of business. I'm hoping they can come back. It's the same thing with churches. It's hard to exist when we don't meet. It's hard to exist when we're not here together and we have opportunity to take an offering and to contribute toward the the expenses of the ministry and the challenges of ongoing care for the facilities and utilities and all that stuff. It's a challenge. We need to trust the Lord. You know, we have an amazing God. I heard this week at our business meeting that God provided for us before we knew we had a need. Back in January... One of the families in our church was enabled by the grace of God to make a special one-time gift to the church. Not huge amounts of money, but a sizable gift. And it's largely because of that sizable gift that we're not in crisis today. That we are getting by. But offerings are down. Expenses continue. Yeah, we don't have the same utilities because Tim and I are here and the building doesn't need to be heated or cooled just for the two of us. And so there's some balancing points, but still we find ourselves falling short because we're not meeting here together. We're not taking offerings every Sunday. And so as a church, we're falling short. And so along comes this opportunity to take advantage of a government loan. And so we're struggling a week ago, struggling with, do we take this loan? Do we accept this loan? Is this a good plan? Is this a bad plan? I had a lot of mixed emotions. Do I really want government money? You know, there's some challenges there. 
But it seems like that is one of the ways that God may be providing for us. And so we have done the paperwork, we've completed all that, and applied for the loan. I haven't heard anything more beyond that. But we're looking to God to provide. Now, perhaps you've heard the story of the family that was trapped in their home with rising floodwaters. And as the floodwaters were rising, the family was on their knees in prayer, pleading with God to rescue them and save them from the flood. And while they're praying, they hear the honking of a car and they open the door and there's someone in a Jeep out in the front yard. The floodwaters aren't too high yet and he's come by to rescue them. And they respond to the man and say, oh, we're trusting God. He's going to provide. And the guy in the Jeep drives away. Well, sometime later, they're continuing in prayer and the floodwaters continue to rise. And now the floodwaters are high enough up that a guy comes by in a motorboat. I've come to help you. I've come to rescue you. Oh, that thank you for coming, but we're trusting God. He's going to provide. Motorboat goes away. Floodwaters continue to rise, and now the water's rising inside the house, and they hear a helicopter, and it comes and hovers outside the front door, and helicopters come to rescue them. And no, we're trusting God. He's going to provide. And so the helicopter leaves, and Finally, the floodwaters rise, and sadly, the family is killed, and they arrive in heaven. And they ask God, how come you didn't care for us? And God says, well, I sent a jeep and a motorboat and a helicopter. What more can I do? (laughs) You know, God has a way of providing, and, and maybe a government loan is God's jeep, God's helicopter. I don't know. But one thing I'm confident of, God does want to use you and me to meet the needs in our church family. And so I want to encourage you this morning as you think about your own personal needs and as you think of the fact that we ought to be careful about being quickly moved from fear to faith. Can we trust God together? I want to call our church family to prayer. Pray. Pray for each other. Pray for our church. Pray for our church's finances. Pray for wisdom For those who pay the bills and are trying to keep current and pray for wisdom as we see this loan as it comes and how to best utilize it. There's some restrictions on how it can be used. And our ambition, our heart's ambition, at least the hearts of our church leaders, as I've listened to them, is to return that money, pay it back as soon as we can. I believe that God wants to use you and me as part of our church family to meet those needs. I believe that God is strong enough, powerful enough, mighty enough to use us to do that. Now, I don't know how he wants to do that. I don't know how he's going to provide for you. I don't know what he's going to do. I was on a bike ride this week with my friend Don, and Don and I are trying to spend some time together and fellowship together and share together. And I was encouraged as we were talking about the government stimulus check and I hadn't seen my stimulus check and he had and we're talking about it. And in the context of that conversation, Don shared with me that that he and his wife took a portion, a large portion of their stimulus check and sent it to their church. That was their response to the very real needs in their church's situation. I fear that many of the churches of America are perhaps even going to cease to exist after this because of the financial loss and challenges and struggles. I hope I'm wrong. But I'm confident that God has a great future for us here in Norwalk. And I'm confident that he's going to use us as we pray and as we open our hearts. God, what can you do through me? Pastor Rick's been calling us this year to surrender. We've been hearing that theme of surrender. We see that word before us every Sunday morning when we gather here as it's prominently displayed beautifully on the wall. And Rick has reminded us of Paul's challenge in Romans chapter 12 that we become living sacrifices, that we open our hearts and minds to what God has for us, that we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Surrender. Are we able to surrender our health our life, our finances, our needs for food and toilet paper or whatever, can we surrender those fully to God, trusting Him to provide for us? I want to encourage you to do that. So, we've learned the lesson that we're too easily distracted, too easily distracted from what's important. 
we're too quickly drawn from fear to faith. And, and then my third idea is, is simply this, that we are too deeply dependent on all the wrong things. Somehow in the midst of this pandemic, it seems like we've been just moved to depend on all the wrong stuff. We depend, first of all, on ourselves. And that's the American way, the rugged American individualism, the John Wayne image that's always been hung in front of my eyeballs for all 70 years of my life. That we can do it. We're strong enough. We're capable enough. We're smart enough. We can do it. Well, (laughs) we trust our wisdom. We trust our bank accounts. We trust in our, our jobs. We trust our medical people. We trust our government. We depend on them. We're putting our dependence in all the, all the wrong places. I think there's a value to learning that we can depend on other people in our lives. That God has placed people in our lives. Family, friends, that we can interact with, that we can count on. We can, I'm grateful for people I can count on. I'm grateful for people that I can depend on. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, two are better than one because they have a, work, have a good return for their work. Woe to him who falls and doesn't have someone at his side to lift him up. You see, two are always better than one. And this is a time where we're learning that we can depend on other people, whether it's family, it's neighbors. My daughter took some of our grandson's old t-shirts and cut them up and made face masks. So my wife and I each have a face mask. And people are making face masks for each other. And that's huge. People are doing other things for each other. Some people are going shopping for elderly folks so they don't have to. Some elderly folks are at high risk. They need to stay out of those public places. And so other people are doing grocery shopping for them. Take advantage of both sides of that equation. Helping other people and accepting help from other people. Sometimes we struggle to accept help. We're depending on the wrong things. Most importantly, who do we need to depend on? We need to depend on God. We need to depend on the Lord. Psalm 23, I believe, is a declaration of dependence. In contrast to a declaration of independence, Psalm 23 is a message, a declaration of dependence. You see, sheep are not dumb. I was told that for many, many years in my life. And that kind of filled the context of the 23rd Psalm. The sheep are dumb and and they need that shepherd because they're so stupid. We see sheep aren't stupid. Sheep are actually very smart. But sheep have a high need of dependency. They need a shepherd. Sheep are different from other creatures that God has created. Unlike horses and cows, for example, that you can turn loose in an open pasture and they'll forage and find food and eat and they're happy all day long. Sheep don't do that. Sheep kind of eat what they find at their feet and they don't know what to do after that. They need a shepherd to do what? To take them to the green pasture. Sheep are dependent on the shepherd for food. Similarly, cows and horses will find water. They'll drink from a pond. They'll drink from a river. They're good to go. Sheep, however, are a little timid. And they don't like water that's in motion. They need a quiet, still pond of water. What they really need is a shepherd who knows where the pond of still water is. So that the shepherd can take them. To where the water is. You see, just like sheep, you and I need to learn. Because we're dependent on God. He is our provider. We need to be careful of thinking of the government as our provider. Or education being our provider. The medical community being God is our provider. He may use those other means, the jeep, the helicopter, and the speedboat. But he's our provider. He is the one we need to depend on. We must depend on the Lord. And 
Not only individually do we need to depend on the Lord, but we need to learn a little better to depend on the Lord as a church. Because I think we depend too much on the buildings. We depend on this building being here every Sunday. We depend on this facility being here so we can come and gather. We depend on the building. Now, the building is neither good nor bad. The building is like a hammer. It's a tool. And it can be used for good or bad. But we become very dependent on buildings. And one of the things we're learning during this pandemic is what? Well, I guess we could get by without the building. What if we never had the opportunity to come back and be in this building again? Would we be done? Well, I've got news if you haven't already thought this in your mind. The church isn't the building. The building isn't the church. You and I are the church. We are the church. And so maybe this is a time for us as a church to again take inventory, to evaluate. Maybe this is a time for us to think, hey, we can meet in homes. We can gather in our homes. Now, I don't know what Governor Newsom thinks about this, but I've been having funeral services with 10 people. They're allowing me and a funeral director to gather together with a small group of people, 8 to 10. And we have sort of a funeral service. It's not like it was four months ago when you could have 100 or 50 or whatever. But they're allowing us to come together in a funeral service with dead people. And if this pandemic is all over next week, which sadly I'm afraid it won't be, but if it were, and we could all be back in here next Sunday, we might have missed the opportunity that God wants us to learn. That there's high value to being together in a small group. There's high value to being together with just a small group of fellow believers to read the scriptures, to care for one another, and to pray. And maybe that's something God wants us to learn in this time. We're too dependent on our buildings. Another thing we're very, very dependent on is our worship service. We all miss being here together. We wish we could be here together. We want to be here together. We're looking forward to being back here together. But maybe one of the things that we're learning in this dependency thing is we're depending way too much on a public worship service. Why can't a family meet together and worship? Why can't a family meet together? Maybe they can sing. They can certainly read the scriptures and pray together. Maybe you got to get a YouTube video to sing along with. I don't know. But it's not all about 1045 to 1215 on Sunday morning. It's much bigger than that. And not only can families worship together, but individuals can worship. You can worship right there in your home with your Bible with or without music, I love music, I love to sing. Like I told you, I've been singing Jessica's song for two weeks. But the value of personal time of worship. We're too dependent on gathering on Sunday morning. And we think coming together on Sunday morning for an hour and a half is it. It's not it. We're too dependent on that. I think another thing we're too dependent on as a church is we're too dependent on the pastor and the Sunday sermon. I fear, I would love to be wrong, but I fear that for too many of us, and I would say this is true in every church in America, too many of us are dependent on a pastor to study and to prepare and to preach or to teach the scriptures. We're too dependent on that. Because we assume, because now I've gone to church, now I've opened my Bible, now I've heard a sermon, I'm good to go. We need to learn. We need to learn that we can't depend on pastors and sermons for our spiritual food. That we need to learn individually to read the scriptures, to meditate on the scriptures, to study the scriptures, to pray. To feed ourselves. You know, the last time someone fed me, um, I would think I was probably less than two years old. 
um, when my mother fed me. And uh, I started off with uh, milk that uh, she fed me. That was, you know, food that she ate that was delivered to me in the form of milk. And then later there was food that, you know. But as I've grown, I've learned to feed myself. And spiritually, that's what God wants from us. We're too dependent. We're too dependent as a church on Pastor Rick or myself or others who would stand up and teach. We need to learn to feed ourselves. It's important that we need to do that. And, and maybe that's our failing as church leaders because we haven't adequately taught and equipped you to do that. Maybe we as church leaders need to learn that lesson and help you to be more successful at doing that for yourself. I think a last area of dependence is that we put a lot of our dependency on what we believe. We depend on believing the right thing. And we even have a motto as a part of our fellowship of churches, the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. That's been a part of my life from day one. I've heard that for 70, for seven decades, 70 years, the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Is it important to believe the right things? Yes. Is it important to believe the truth? Yes. But I think too often we depend on knowing the truth rather than living the truth. It's not enough to believe the truth. It's not enough. It's a great place to start, but it's not enough. We need to live out the truth that God opens up to us. That's why James says in James 1.22, Don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest you deceive yourselves. Don't just hear it, but do it. We need to be men and women, boys and girls. We need to be followers of Jesus who are daily living out truth. Uh, in first John, or in third John, one of my, <laughs> I love this passage of scripture. John is so focused on truth. John is all about truth. And in third John, he says this, beloved, I pray that in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Now, isn't it interesting he elevates soul prosperity above physical prosperity. His prayer is that their physical health would rise and meet the level of their spiritual health. More times than not, we're kind of the other way around. People are healthy physically, and we just wish they were spiritually more healthy. John has that flipped, interestingly. He says, I'm praying that you're, you're, you're healthy, just like your soul prospers. And then he says this, I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. And then he says this, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I believe that God is calling us individually and collectively as a church family to greater dependence on him and less dependent on these other things. Jesus is enough. He's always enough. He's more than enough. We can depend on Him. And so, this coronavirus pandemic will be wasted if we don't learn what God has for us in the midst of it. That's my concern. That's my concern for me personally. I need to learn these same lessons. These aren't things I'm trying to just throw at you and kind of make you feel guilty about. I need to learn these lessons. I desperately need to learn these lessons along with you. Several weeks ago, I was trying to teach my grandson, Brady, how to ride a bike. Now, I feel pretty confident about teaching someone how to ride a bike. I've, I've learned some little skills and little techniques. In fact, last time I was in North Carolina... I taught my six and seven year old grandson and granddaughter how to ride their bikes. It was frustrating for all of us. It was hard. It wasn't fun necessarily. But I'll tell you what, when it was all done and they were zooming up and down the street a couple hours later on their bikes, I was pumped. And I had Brady on his bike 
out in the alley behind my house, no cars, no traffic, just trying to get him up and back up. I was so frustrated. And I finally told my daughter, until Brady wants to learn to ride his bike, he'll never learn to ride this bike. And he's, he doesn't want to. And I want to suggest to you that this is a key thing for us. We need to want to learn the lessons that God has for us. The three that I'm suggesting and and maybe beyond, we need to want to learn these lessons. We're too easily distracted from what really matters. We're too quickly drawn from fear to faith. And we're too deeply dependent on all the wrong things. I am. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. How about you? And so here's what I want you to do this morning. Here's what I want you to do this week. It's important for us to learn. It's important for us to live out the truth. So I've suggested three lessons. And what I want to encourage you to do is to just choose one of these. Which one of these is God kind of speaking to you about? Which one of these lessons is that you need to spend some time thinking about, praying about? meditating on, maybe a scripture that I've suggested. But I want you to choose one of these lessons. Don't try to think of all three, just one. And think about it, ponder on it, pray about it, and then ask yourself the question, God, what do you want me to do about this in my life? What do you want me to do different? Where do you want me to change? (laughs) There's a tough word for us. Where Do you want me to change? If we are the same people when this pandemic is all over that we were at the beginning of March, we will have wasted this pandemic. If we are the same church when this is all over that we were at the beginning of March, we will collectively have wasted this pandemic. There are lessons that God wants us to learn. It was Dwight L. Moody who famously said, God has not given us the scriptures for our information. He's given them to us for our transformation. He wants to transform you. He wants to transform me. And he wants to transform our church. And so, Lord, that's our prayer together this morning. Be glorified, Lord, in my life. Be glorified in our church Give us open and willing hearts to change. Help us even in the hard stuff of change, the hard stuff of growth. Help us to be willing to be the men and women of God that you call us to be. Help us to become the church that you want us to be. That's our prayer together. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior, for his name, for his sake for his glory, for his kingdom. We ask all of these things. Amen. Go live for Jesus and have a great week.